0: 70 yards out I mean I was the idiot who'd be in the middle of the fairway green right in front of me no obstructions no traps anywhere and I would just all right 70 yards that is my full swing 60 I would hit a full swing 60 and like again that's really dumb
1: and welcome back welcome aboard another park train I'm one of your co-hosts Evan Singer I got my partner in crime our other co-host Mr. Matt Cermak
2: what's up F good to see you
1: We just had an amazing, probably one of the more relatable mental game roundtables we've done in a while, Um, but before we get you to that, guys, in case you're new, or if this is your 192nd ride on the train, welcome aboard. Welcome back. If your golf game's off the rails, you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The par train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The par train podcast unpacks the mental game with PJ Torpo's best-selling authors, CEO, sports psychologist, everyday golfers like Kent, you and me today. And more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. This episode of the Part Train, like every episode of the Part Train, is presented by Roback wear. And sir, I wanted to tell you, I hate to do this, it's a little oh. bit of a spoiler alert, but oh. because you're my co-host, I think other people need to hear this. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil it for you. But my groomsman, we'll see how many groomsmen listen to the show. The groomsman <laughs> hoodies are purchased. Roback <laughs> hoodies. For every groomsman, there's a couple other things too I threw in, but Roback hoodie for every groomsman. I just want to make this very clear. Everybody might think that because they're a sponsor of the show, we promote it, but Roback is so good that I chose their hoodies. I paid for them. I paid for their hoodies. And remember, we get these for free, okay? I paid for the hoodies for my groomsmen. That's how good they are. I know it's getting hot. Their polos are just as good. Their performance t-shirts, I'm wearing one right now. All their stuff is stretchy and amazing. But I just wanted to share that because I think people need to hear that this is not just a sponsor stuff. Like we wear it every day. It's our favorite stuff. The team over there is amazing. So if you haven't already gotten a hoodie, they're good enough for my groomsmen. They're good for you and their polos. I'm wearing my margarita polo and Cabo next week for my bachelor party with you. I mean,
2: talk about setting the stage. Fun (laughs) stuff.
1: So go to roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, Get 15% off. If you've already done it, subscribe for sbcglobal.net email. Do whatever you got to do. Get. We're five talking emails. about the
2: best hoodies in the world. You guys got to do what it takes because these are the it. best.
1: <laughs> Rollback.com. Enter the code train. You'll love it. Trust me. Good enough for the Grimsman. Good enough for you. Okay. Wow. Serm. we just had your buddy, Kent Wilson. And I love when Serm brings me this stuff sometimes. It's like, dude, I just played with this guy. He shot a 96 the other day. He's shot two 80s in the last couple of weeks. He's really feeling something. He's making big changes. I think it'll be really good for our listeners. And that's what I think our show does differently. And I think our my favorite part of our show is yeah. we bring the everyday golfer on. We unpack it in hopefully a relatable, valuable way. And someone can see themselves in Kent. He's a 10.6, previously coming down from a 12, really close to breaking 80 again. And I think there's a ton of changes he's making that everyone can make in their game.
2: I agree. It was an awesome episode. Kent's obviously a really good buddy here in Chicago. We played a fair amount of golf together and yeah, our most recent round, I just saw something change in him, certainly for the positive. And I wanted to get him on the show to talk us through that. You know, you talk about the ups, you talk about the downs, the journey of being a 10 handicap, talked about what it would mean to him to be a single digit handicap, but some of the trappings in that, right? He's talked about how he's approached some of his pre-round routines investing time into his short game. I think for all our listeners, this is great. I mean, we've got a lot of people that are in that 10 to 15 handicap range. We really unpack the ups, the downs, I and mean, some of the changes he's made because Ken's a fired up guy. He gets fired up on the course. He talks about, you know, some of the things he's worked on and how to get to a really good place mentally. And I think he is destined for some more success because of working on his routines, working on his processes. That stuff's not just for the scratch player or for the, the tour pro, right Ev? I mean, yeah. it, it was a great episode. Absolute great episode. It was great to see Kent.
1: And remember, like if you've ever gotten pissed on the course, if you've ever shot high 90s and low 80s two days apart, if you've played team sports growing up, I think you'll relate to this cuz I think a lot of us have those experiences in our life and I think we tie it up really nicely towards the end. So this is an episode like everyone, definitely listen to the end. You're going to get a ton of value at the end. And um, if we've added any value, guys, the best thing you can do really for us, if you enjoy the show, is give us a, yeah, if a you review at Apple ride. Podcast. share it with a friend, follow us at The Part Train on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We post things there multiple times a day so that in between podcasts, you can still get some nuggets and improve your game, enjoy the ride. But no matter how mad You feel on the course, no matter how many times you've lost a ball right off the tee, no matter how much you want to be a single-digit handicap, you're hanging on to that. Sir, what do they got to do?
2: Just enjoy the ride.
1: Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Kent Wilson, welcome aboard the train. We're excited to have you. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. For context, this guy is in Chicago. Fellow Chicagoan with Sir you guys have played a lot of golf together. Your arch nemesis, as you say is Joey Bommarito, another friend oh. of Max, Chicago guy that we've brought on a mental game roundtable to unpack That's his right. game. You've had a lot of success recently, but let's start with the rivalry. Yeah. Yeah. Why is Joey Bomarito an arch nemesis? What makes the, someone an arch nemesis? <laughs> and the state of the rivalry too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great question. First and foremost, thanks for having me, you guys. I'm a big fan of the pod. Thank you so much. It's, it's great to be here. Why Joey? Long time listener, first time caller? Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, I see a lot of my younger self in Joey. He's a very intense individual if you probably couldn't tell on the on the conversations you've had with him. He's a very competitive guy and he likes to talk a little smack. Mm-hmm. I don't sure. like talking smack on the golf course. So we naturally oh, you kind don't of like heads it. that. Not really. I, okay. I I'm much more of like a, you know, keep it a gentleman's game type of thing, Yes, and, you know, congratulate people when they're, when they make good shots rather than getting pissed because he, you know, I birdied and he, he bogeyed or whatever, but you know, we kind of just feed off each other that way. Um, you know, we're about the same kind of handicap. Sometimes he has, you know, on days where he's killing me and vice versa. He's just an intense guy and, and I try to meet him there, man. And it's been fun. We, we play a ton together and uh, I think we make each other better. So it's, it's, it's a great rivalry. Well, it's probably good, right?
1: CERM is like the dynamic. We've talked about this a little bit on the show, not a ton, of like the dynamic of playing with certain people, how that impacts our game, so we can maybe get into that. But first, before I let Cermak dive in, because I know he's got a lot that he wants to dig into, Kent, you described your game as similar to Joey's, people that don't know Joey. Let's give people context on your handicap And maybe some of the recent state of your game. I know you've had some recent success. So give people some context on where your game's at right
0: now. And the journey, you know, I've always golf for a little bit. I'll start from the beginning. So, you know, you know, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, 35 years old, live in Chicago now for the past 10 years. And I really didn't start really getting seriously into golf until like, you know, maybe 28, 29 35 now so it's it's been a few years that I've really put a lot of time into it and been playing a lot my dad's a, a really good golfer he's a single digit handicap I grew up going to a country club but really didn't get serious till kind of after college when you know my body started breaking down and, and all those other sports I, I really loved weren't as available to me right now I'm at a uh, a 10.6 handicap which is great for me I mean I was at 15 yeah. for for a very long time and sure you know recently I, I'm getting closer to like you know a nine. You know, looking at my scores, I was just doing a little bit of analysis of my game through through, the 18 birdies app, just looking at my trending handicap. But um, yeah, the last five rounds have been playing really well. I mean, I'm averaging an 84 right now. I had two rounds at 80, which was huge for me. Matt was uh, experienced one of those. But prior to that, I was, oh, it was great. And (laughs) he has that effect. his
1: calming effect.
0: It's so funny, dude. Cause like literally Joey and I, when we play, it's super intense. We don't talk to each other very much. I go to, you know, I'm riding with Matt now and literally every question I ask him, I'm like, Hey, should I use a five wood or a five iron or what, what do you think? Uh, I think I'm going to go five wood. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, definitely. I'm like, okay, next, next question I ask him. Oh yeah, that's great. I uh, definitely, definitely. You know, he just gives that, that confidence and, and really yeah. like I, I told him, I credit him for giving me those good vibes. He had a great playlist, by the way, part train playlist, just the oh, classics. yeah. <laughs> You know there's nothing better than you know stepping up to a par five and then you know born to run comes on by Bruce Springsteen, and you're just like, Oh my god, yeah. But yeah, that's <laughs> what I need. Sir Mac going. Don't <laughs> right.
1: just don't even talk about when U2 comes on. Cermac yeah. just be oh, yeah. out of his mind.
2: Just fired up. Yeah.
0: But uh yeah, so I mean, you know, fairly recently I've had some some really great success. I credit that to you know, improvements in my putting and chipping, which I've really been focusing on and developed some tactics there, but you know, we're middle of the season right now. And I really want to get to that single digit, you know, handicap. I got there last year. I was at about a nine for a little bit last year and, you know, want to get closer to, you know, seven or eight if possible.
2: Well, Kent, I mean, 10.6, right. And so you, yep. that was going to be my next question. You've been a single digit handicap before. Yeah. And that's high on your mind. Is that always the goal? Like, has that been one of your goals for this season? For example, tell the listeners what your goals are. And it sounds like that is one of them.
0: It is. It is. To me, like the goal is to, to be a single digit handicap and really just to, to not have any scores above 90. And that's a pretty lofty goal. I mean, I, I certainly blow up, you know, often, but yeah, just being more consistent. I mean, you know, when I look at my scores, you know, I'm, I can even pull it up here. Last round, I shot a 96, but then it was 87, 87, 80, 90, 80. 97. You know, I'm all over the place. So it's it's getting consistently below 90 is kind of the ultimate goal, but certainly as well as being a single digit cap and staying there and you know, getting close to a seven or eight is, is is the goal.
1: What did it mean to you when you got to a nine? Did you oh, feel awesome. like you arrived?
0: Yes, dude. And, and <laughs> frankly, like I almost was like, did I put all my scores in accurately? <laughs> did I forget a bad round or two? No, I felt great. You know, what I was saying to, to somebody the other day, you know, I've really learned to play smart. I'm very much like a more of a Brooks Kapka than a, than a Bryson DeShambo. Like no, I, I go live, to golf tour. You're a totally. live tour guy. Yeah, I'm a live tour guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I shouldn't say that but uh, a little controversy. The you pod, might get but, canceled.
1: Right, right. I know.
0: but uh, I'm being much more thoughtful about, you know, how to be strategic for certain holes with club selection and whatnot rather than just kind of getting out there and gripping it and ripping it. And I've really seen the benefits of that, that, and, and, you know, practicing and understanding what are truly my weaknesses. You know, I'll give you one quick example is, and I learned this from Dave Pels. I've never been a great putter. You know, I realized, yeah, I'm not a great putter, but it, one of the big reasons is because my chipping is it was atrocious. I would never give myself one putt opportunities. And that's something that has really excelled my game this year the few times I've gone to a range, I chipped like and I made it fun game. You know, I would, if I went with a buddy, we'd have chipping contests and kind of getting that muscle memory down has really helped me. Now I look forward to, to chipping and yeah. to getting it super close, if not getting it in. I, I mean, two years ago, I would never think yeah, I could chip this in. Now, every time I chip, I'm like, let's put this thing in. So that gives me a lot of one pot opportunities. And, and I'm making, you know, more of those than not enjoying the ride, you know, enjoy yeah. the, the revelations and, and, you know, some things that are probably obvious for most golfers, but you know, me just really try to be smart now in golf rather than just, you know, having fun and relaxing and just, you know, you want that too, but being more strategic is something that I'm I'm working on.
2: I got to compliment you because you were so disciplined mentally. Um, we played at ravines at Cog Hill. You know, look, you're an intense guy. You're not afraid to show it or say it. But yep, you know, you had a couple holes where you we lost the ball, but you didn't get too down. You didn't start yelling. You were just like, All right, next shot, and your misses too, Kent. Last time we played, you missed a lot of shots long. You go in these deep Mm -hmm. bunkers, chipping back downhill. You missed everything, right? Really, for the most part, short. And it was just it was cool, man. I mean, you were just so Steady Eddie mentally and strategically. So, talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I think, and that's another big piece of, of my game is really just almost being a little bit more mature out there and, and really just reining in my emotions. I was a guy growing up in team sports, football, basketball stuff, where there's just intensity. Matt, you know, certainly intense. We play squash together, and yeah. you hear me. I'm one of the loudest guys in the squash courts, but
2: Kent's a good squash player. He's <laughs> yeah. got my number there. I will admit it.
0: Serm's good. <laughs> Serm is good. He's a rising you guys star. in the
1: university club, it's <laughs> right. unbelievable. You got like a secret society,
2: always competing squash always, golf, always.
0: But, but, keep, but keep going, keep going. And so, you know, I mentally would blow up, I'd be the guy who would throw clubs or yell or whatever. And you know, I didn't do anything too egregious, but and it would destroy my game. And, and it's a frustrating game, totally. Yeah. And that's why I that's one big reason why I love golf is because it's really made me be introspective and be like, dude you're making a fool of yourself. You've got to brain it in, relax. And that was one of the reasons why when I was younger, I didn't play a lot. My dad was a great golfer, loved it, played as a young guy. And we belonged to a country club. And, you know, I played casually, but reasons I didn't play a lot was because I just, I would get a temper tantrum. Sure. And, you know, I still get that here and there. And, you know, cause I have high expectations, but I'll say again, Matt, I'll credit you because you're Mr. Positive over there, dude. I mean, like before I could even think about what yelling or, or saying something, you'd be like, oh yeah, you got this, you know, up and down, Kent, like, you know, you fix it. Fairways, fairways and
2: greens, right? Yeah.
0: Totally. And like, yeah. again, like, you know, I need to be doing that for myself, but uh, you know, I do think playing with the right person for me, at least really, really helps. And, and CERM is certainly one of those people.
2: Well, and it was nice to take down Joey Balmerito, wasn't oh, it, Kent? So, you know, so good, and, and Jamie. We love Jamie. We love Joey, but it was extra sweet.
0: And I, I I didn't finish this, Evan. I should say this. In terms of the state of the rivalry, I never actually answered that part. I'm running away right now, dude. I oh. am. Yeah, like he's having some issues with his drive. I'm reeling in my chips and putts, so I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really good.
1: Is it safe to say, Kent, that it's the year of the short game for you? 100%, dude. You guys both right yep. here so again, did you one get of our that big, from our well, show
0: or did we do that on our own what's one of our big themes this year a little a little bit <laughs> of both you guys i mean okay. certainly your show i'll say like again <laughs> i'd like to think of it as just you know being a more mature golfer and thoughtful joey's a bomber i'm a bomber i i don't swing as hard as he does i can certainly bomb it as far as he does but i don't choose to right <laughs> can't wait till he hears that but it's being thoughtful about like Let's get the drive done with, and let's focus on the short game and, and put, spend more time in the range or the putting green and the chipping green than, than just bombing drives.
1: Yeah. So, yes, it's
0: absolutely the year of the short game.
1: I'm curious, Kent, if the same things happen for you. Let's look at your last 10 scores that, you know, you listed off a lot yep. of decent mid to low 80s in there, yep. some, some high ones. But if you compare that versus your other ones, I bet you, Kent, that your ball striking, your fairways hit, your greens hit, On average are probably around the same.
0: Yeah. Right. Like that's
1: exactly right. And yet you almost broke 80 twice and you're almost down to a nine. Right. Right. So that's the thing that's been a real light bulb moment for me. Yeah. And it's more than just, oh yeah, I'm making more getting up and down more. I'm making more putts. It's more of a mindset shift, I think, is what you described. Right. Is it takes pressure off the rest of your game. And it allows you to have a little bit more fun. Cause like I was just at sand Valley last weekend and I didn't adapt quickly enough to the firm and fast Sandy lies. It's a little uh, misleading because it's fluffier than Bandon, Mm -hmm. but it's just as tight and Sandy. The shots I play in Southern California around the greens weren't translating and I didn't feel comfortable with different types of bump and run shots that I probably could have practiced before. Right. I shot mid 80s in those rounds, because if I missed greens, I wasn't getting up and down, but I probably missed the same amount of greens as I did in other rounds here. It sounds like you're enjoying the game
0: more Yep. simply by investing your time differently before yep. you play. Totally. And And I think it's because I have a plan, whereas I didn't before. So like, I'll give you an example. And these are common things I'm sure most golfers know, but for example, for putting, I would just laugh about it now, but I would just go to the green you know, putting green. If I made it on time, usually I used to be the guy who would just show up, you know, right before tea time, but I would get half hour early, at least get to the putting green. And I would walk, I'd find the flat surface a flat hole. And I'd walk 10 steps from the, from the hole and just practice how far back I need to bring the putter to, yeah. to get it to that distance. So what that does to me is, you know, I get that down. So then distance, like how hard to hit it is almost taken out of my variables to consider because I know a 10 foot putt, this is how far back I gotta, uh, I gotta bring my, my putter. If it's downhill, uphill, I can, I can accommodate that. So that's one thing, You know, I have this plan and I feel confident because I did the work before you know, the first tee. The other thing that I've been doing, and this is with chipping is, is not only practicing a bunch and getting that muscle memory down, you're really choosing the bump and run more often, even at like guys like 70 yards out. I mean, I was the yeah. idiot who'd be in the middle of the fairway, green right in front of me, no obstructions, no traps anywhere, and I would just all right, 70 yards, that is my full swing 60. I would hit a full oh. swing 60 or yeah. a flop it on there. And like again, that's really dumb. But now I'm like, all right, let's let's think about hitting a quarter swing pitching red wedge and run it up there. What does that yeah. do? That eliminates the left right. And all I have to focus on is the distance. Being thoughtful, eliminating variables when you can has just been such a game changer. And again, like it's more fun because I have a plan and I'm like standing over the ball being like, I know what I'm doing here. But I've actually thought about this. I'm not freaking reading, you know, the range finder and then just hitting the club. You know, I'm like, all right, let's look at the layout of the green and and all of that. So
2: we started really talking about what's the yardage to the front, right? Right, right. And I think that was big for you too. It got your mind kind of just working correctly. Like Mm -hmm. it's not just what to the flag. Look, I'm coming out of the rough. I'm 60 yards. This ball's going to come out hot, right? Your awareness of the front yardage, the middle yardage, the Mm backyardage. So you're doing that, right? You're staying more even killed. You have a pre-round routine on the putting green. So it's almost like, is the goal the single digit handicap or the goals are kind of those things that lead to the single digit handicap, right? Totally.
0: The processes, right? And like Right. The extra effort to be aware and to do these things. Right. Totally. And, and, you know, my dad now is a very casual golfer and, and he, you know, he's very strategic in the way he plays, but I, I never asked. Cause I was always kind of intense and just like playing with a lot of emotion that I never really thought about, like really playing holes strategically. I hit the ball fairly well. I, you know, I can hit 300. So I'm like, yeah, par five. I'm always bringing out the five wood or three wood, you know, on the second shot. Always. If I could just, rein it in oh it's probably not a good idea for this there's there's freaking a moat you know right around the. well uh, Ken,
2: i gotta bring this up to Abby. you love this to when we were playing and ken you i feel like in the prior weeks and months you started asking me like i need a, a different club off the team aside for a driver yeah. this is something you've been thinking about we were at a par five on the back nine at uh, cog hill the dog leg right tough tee shot kent goes i'm hitting what would you hit the five or the hybrid five, a- five yep and then he goes i'm laying up Knocked it on to 20 feet, made the putt for birdie. You could have hit driver on that hole, but it was just like, that was an aha moment from the past times I played with you. You're always hitting driver trying to go over the trees. Right. And you were the shortest guy off the tee and you made birdie. (laughs) It was totally totally. so committed to this plan for the hole. And if you think about it,
1: how often do we actually hit the green? And that's not always the goal. Uh, What on the second shot? On the second shot. Right. Right. How how often do we make eagle? I remember... (laughs) <laughs> back in the day, sir, I used to be blown away by our mutual buddy, Ryan, who was like aiming for a greenside bunker. Yeah. You know, back then I'm like, absolutely not. I don't want to be in a bunker. Are you kidding me? He's aiming for him because he just wants to be up and around the green, give himself a chance to, you know, get up and down for birdie. But Kent, you know what it sounds like to me? I want to make this really clear for the listener. The listener might hear. Yeah, he's being smarter off the T's starting to think about course management. He's practicing a short game. It makes sense. And that's all true. But really, Kent, what you're saying is commitment. Yeah. All of that other stuff, Cermak in the cart, giving you confirmation, giving yourself permission that you don't have to do everything that everyone else is doing. Right. You're finally starting to commit to a plan that gives you the most confidence to feel the most certain over every shot. Is that fair? Exactly right. Yeah, exactly.
2: And it's your game. It's not anybody else's game. Mm -hmm. Starting to understand your tendencies. You're hitting a cut. Knowing that, right? Right. Not not trying to turn over shots or do to have his point, you got to commit to like, this is my identity. I know who I am. I know what I can be capable of. And
0: I've got options now. It's almost like realigning my perspective or my goals. Like, you know, again, when I would swing away and just hit bombs, like that's all I really cared about. And it was just like, oh, yeah, I, I double bogeyed that hole. Like that sucks. But, you know, that was a 320 drive or whatever. And, and really just kind of <laughs> getting beyond that and be like, man, like, you know, I'm really killing myself by, by, by taking driver all the time, or just having that mentality and really just, you know, I guess being more of a thoughtful golfer and finding, finding chipping to be more fun and putting to be more fun. And what it becomes more fun when you have success and, and they have success, you have to have a plan. And so again, um. You know, I like I love the fact that now when I'm standing over the ball again, it's I've, I've put in through my process. It's not just kind of, uh, you know, uh, you're just grabbing a club and going. It's, it's really like considering all my options and, and choosing the least risky shot available.
1: All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break here from a first time sponsor that I am super pumped about. And I know it could be a game changer for your guys golf game. And I got a little bit of a confession because I used to think that rangefinders were kind of a commodity product. And I told Precision Pro, I was like, feel free to send me one of your new rangefinders, the NX10. I need to use it because I'm not going to promote you unless it beats my old Bushnell. I had a Bushnell Tor V3. And I don't know if this was, it's funny, I kind of changed my view on it now, but when Slope first came out, I actually didn't want a slope rangefinder because I wanted to be able to determine the yardage for myself. But now that I do, my viewpoints have changed a little bit. So Precision Pro sends me the NX10. And first of all, I think from just a cool factor standpoint, not even the performance and the yardage part and how it compares to my Bushnell, this thing's off the charts, okay? They are the first ever customizable rangefinder where they have 20 plus designs. I'm looking at them right now. They've got a ton of USA ones. July 4th um, is this weekend. They've got a Canadian flag. They've got floral patterns. They've got martini patterns. They've got army. They've got all these cool clips. So you get these clip-ons. I think it's like 20 bucks or something that you get a clip. It stays in place. It's like a magnet and it totally changes the way your rangefinder looks. So you could have a different looking rangefinder for different occasions, or you could just get the one that you like. I love the floor one and the green one, probably the ones I'm looking at. And then hopefully this is the start of something bigger and we can do a part training clip on it at some point. But I love that. I love that you can kind of make this range finder your own, because to me, that's all about confidence. I want to confidently grab my rangefinder and feel good about it when I'm about to shoot my yardage and about to go into a shot. So that's one. It's cool. It's the first ever customizable rangefinder. Two, the NX10 slope rangefinder is the one I have. And I put it up against my TOR V3 Bushnell. And I was like, all right, let's see how this thing compares. I'm not just saying this. You guys know. I'm always going to be honest with you. I was blown away. Now, here are the differences. My Bushnell, it's funny. Tara had to, would sometimes use it, my fiance. And I would tell her, make sure you shoot the very top tip of the flag. Otherwise, the yardages weren't accurate. So what would happen with my Bushnell is I would usually get two to three yardage variations. And sometimes I'm like, am I missing the flag? Am I shooting the back of the green? Am I missing the flag? I was really confused. And I didn't know which yardage was the right one. This Precision Pro NX10, I can shoot any part of the flag and it's so snappy and fast. That's the other thing. My Bushnell, there's a little bit of a delay. My Precision Pro is so fast and the slope is in the top right. So I have the regular yardage, I have the slope yardage, and there's even a switch on the top that if you don't want slope on, you won't even see it. You can flip that off easily. So I've been blown away. I actually love using it because it's so fast and accurate. I've been using it to shoot different parts of the course too. Some people think that a rangefinder is not for them if they want to just hit to the middle of the greens or the know the front green yardage. This thing has been awesome to just shoot different parts of the course, hazards, bunkers, front of the green, back of the green. And it gives me all the information I need. I get committed before my shot and I go. The other thing I haven't mentioned. Is I'd never had a rangefinder with a magnetic strip on it, and they just revamped their magnetic strip and it sticks on the pole of the golf cart. I was driving over these speed bumps a lot faster than you should. This thing is glued on. I've never realized how unbelievable having a good magnetic strip on my rangefinder is. Now, a lot of you in the comments are saying, Yeah, but then you're going to forget it and lose your rangefinder. Well, guess what? Precision Pro has an app that you can connect to your rangefinder and it sends you a notification to not forget your range finder. And if you do forget it, it has it on GPS, like find my phone with an iPhone, and it helps you track it down. They've literally thought of everything. So go to precisionprogolf.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 20 bucks off, have a pick at any of these designs, customize your range finder, and have the range finder that your game deserves. Guys, I'm seriously blown away. I'm a Precision Pro guy now for life, okay? I love it. So thank you to Precision Pro precisionprogolf.com into the coke train get 20 bucks off let's get you back to the show
2: i talked a lot about the short game and how you enjoy the challenge of I love it now I've worked on this shot in practice mm-hmm. like Ev, that was a you've worked hard on your short game especially chipping and pitching than ever I, there's so much synergy with you guys you're enjoying that challenge
1: you know I love hitting it long too but I've well documented my struggles with the driver over my golfing life and i realized oh wow yeah he's screen sharing
0: i'm just this is sharing. the first Love time this. we've ever
1: had a guest screen share this is this big. is what it's
2: all about right here <laughs> see, this we're on is what zoom
1: I... right now for those on audio and he's screen sharing what is this oh putts per round a graph of putts per round this is amazing. totally
0: so you guys got me excited about this because again like putting is something that I've, I've done so much better at and you guys can see i mean like you know, for the last like you know, 15 rounds or so, I'm like 38, 41, 37. The last five rounds, I'm 34, 31, 30, 35, 29, 36. Back last year, I was I was 40 putts around, easy.
2: Right. Just from what I experienced with you, Ken, I want you, I want you to talk more about your putting. But the round at Cog Hill at Ravines, a lot of this had to do with your chipping and where you were chipping yes. from because you don't hit every green. I don't hit no. every green. No. You were chipping uphill and you were leaving yourself. Easier putts. Mm-hmm. Right. So those one putts were kind of adding up when you did Mr. Green. But that is so key to this. It was great to watch.
0: Yeah. And that's what I think Dave Pells is made famous for saying that, like that the most important shot is really, you know, your approach, your, your your chipping because that influences your putting. Yep. And I really took that to heart. Again, like, you know, I mean, four, five years ago, I was just chipping and putting just to get onto the next tee box But now just having a plan and really like finding chipping fun. And finding putting fun has been great. It's been a revelation, and frankly, it's you know I have more fun doing that now than than hitting driver, which is crazy to me. As I'm
1: reflecting on everything you're saying, Kent, and looking at your graphical representation of your putting, which is great, <laughs> the um, two things jump out. One, you're an intense, emotional guy, which yep. a lot of people are, especially that have played team intense sports.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I used to be super intense. The other is you keep using the word thoughtful. And what I take from that is like intentional having plans, right? The interesting thing is everyone needs to think about their personality. We've done podcasts with mental golf type. I'd love to see what yours is, but clearly you like digging into the details, the numbers and creating a plan for yourself. And the emotion is really just indicative of something you care about, right? Right. You put a lot of time, effort, and money into something. You want to see the results when you don't get it. It can be frustrating, but what would be interesting for you, Kent, going back to the commitment and the power of intention for you, as you're starting to see this wave of success, as we identify with this goal of being a single digit handicap, and you said yourself, you felt like you arrived, we've all been there. But what I would push you to try to get to an eight, to get to a seven and still not freak out like that's normal. That's my trajectory is I would love to see a commitment process. I'm starting to test this with some of our the videos we're starting to shoot. Okay, if I have over a 90% commitment percentage on every shot, I should break 80. And why didn't I commit? What is getting in my way of commitment? So then I can go back and my only goal is my commitment percentage. And then the other things take care of themselves, to Surmax point earlier. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that because to me, there's the planning intention side with also managing emotions that's golf, right, right. there. Right. and that's you.
2: And just to add some color to that, Ken, it's imagine walking off after the course, sitting down, having a beer. You got your putts and your fairways and all that stuff, but it's really like, how many times did I commit today, and what shots did I not commit on? And right. then kind of understanding those non-committal moments and comparing them, and it's really eye-opening.
0: It's something else. So it's a, it's a great point by Ed, But go ahead. I mean, everybody's had that where you know you stand over a ball, you think you have the right club, and and you're really not very confident. You're in between clubs and swing, you get a bad shot, and you're like, oh my gosh, man, I just I just wasn't committed. Whether it's deselling or whatever, but. I think part of it is just doing the work and knowing my game and kind of analyzing what the risk reward is. So I think that gives me confidence, but I still suffer from it. I'm still looking for answers for how to like be more confident for every shot. I'm still working on that, you know, bump and run shot. And you know, it takes a lot of muscle memory and you know, if I haven't done it in a while, or I feel like, hey, I should do this with a, a pitching wedge instead of a 52 or something use my eight iron, which I freaking lost. <laughs> it's tough. And so I, I love any tactics about, you know, thinking of rainbows or something. Between <laughs> well, shots.
2: well Kat, going back to you and I, when you would ask me, Hey, what do you think of this? If it wasn't like an, like an egregious decision, like, yeah, I could tell you were feeling it and even maybe it might not be the right club. It's better to commit, to the wrong shot that not commit right to the right shot so I unless I had to kind of call you off something but I'd be like you know what I can I can see in your head like I'm feeling this uh-huh. and maybe I would have had an additional thought but like go with it
0: right a lot of time good things happen so I wanted to mention that yeah, no, no totally and that's a great that's a great thought because again I had asked you I'm like every time I was choosing one or two clubs I'd always ask you and you always said you know if I would arrive at an answer you I think every time you were like oh yeah that's that's exactly what you need to do right exactly as like, long as you know.
2: told me what the yardage was well what, what's well what is exactly like, all, just tell me what the yardage is to the front or the right. back and and then i was like yeah i yeah. think you, you got it
0: <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. like i'm sure there was like maybe one or two of those where you're like uh eh, you know I <laughs> but like but you were like i it, it was clear that you were like go with your gut dude and just commit and yeah. it really helps and it's so funny because <laughs> at the same time you know i'm trying to help you out <laughs> And there was one shot where it was a par five and you had a pretty good drive and it was a very guarded green and you were like, should I go for it or not? And I was like, well, you should go for it. I mean, you got, I don't know, actually, you should lay up. And then I was like, yeah, just go for it, dude. You should go for it. And like, I thought to myself after I told you, after you swung it, I think you didn't hit the best shot. And I was like, man, that was not the way to give advice. My original
2: (laughs) plan was to lay up. I could have gone for it, but our instincts are our instincts. And sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're really bad, but right. finding that greater level of comfort in the moment is, is the ultimate goal and just doing it. Yeah, yeah. You know, laying up from 235 yards. Yeah. I could get on that green, but like, if I miss short, I'm screwed. If I miss long, it's a downhill back to front ship. So.
0: I listen to a lot of other golf podcasts too. And just your guys. And you know, one of the things I've always heard is the caddy golfer relationship. And most of these golfers pro golfers, The caddy gives them what recommendation and everything, but like they, they don't have the final say, which is obvious, but like a lot of these guys only have like four or five vetoes. Right. In like a year, (laughs) that's kind of a testament to like, not just like the golfer makes the decisions, but like, they're going to let you make whatever decision you want, or you feel most confident in, because again, you have to be committed at the end of the day. That's it's on me.
2: If you were actually my
0: caddy and you, you wanted to
2: veto the end of the day, it's on me. I make the final call. I got to commit to whether you like it or not, it's on me. So can't play the blame game by any means. One thing
1: Ken, I've been thinking a lot about, I tweeted this the other day that I'd love to maybe dig into with you is I I tweeted that golf really is of all the things it teaches us. Maybe the biggest thing it teaches us is a teacher of self-belief because I was thinking about it like, okay, why is it that I obsess over a swing key? or a technical thought. If you unpack that, it's actually because you might not believe that you can hit a good shot without it, right? And so it's understanding, to Serm's point, committing to a shot versus not committing gives you a better chance for your authentic swing to come out. And the same thing for taking things with you from the range to the course. It's great to have a key, but going back to that reflection about commitment and like, why didn't I commit? Maybe I'm getting to player side instead of target side, you know, and thinking about my tactics or my swing hacks when really your point Kent, you said, if I put in the work, I can trust it and believe you can hit the shot. And a lot of people think that you have to seeing is believing, but I think golf is the ultimate teacher of believing is seeing. Sometimes you have to lie to yourself. Scotty Scheffler lied to himself. At the U.S. Open, he was talking about it. He just tricks himself into thinking that a score is a certain way because or he's still in it. I'm still in it. I just have to keep doing what I'm doing. So talk about that. Talk about maybe your battle with thinking about your swing versus the shot and that getting in the way of your commitment any.
0: It's funny because when I play, it's always something new that I'm tinkering with, and that's everybody, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, ah, man, I, you know. I'm slicing it. I'm, you know, that's my miss is is a slice, like probably everybody. But I find certain things to do that are always, they're frankly always different. Every time I golf, it's like, oh, I got to move my, you know, right elbow in, or I got to hold up my wrist higher, or whatever it is, or change my alignment. And so I think finding out those little corrections beforehand on the range or whatever gives me some confidence. And then when I'm out there, uh, again, it's all about you know knowing the shot, knowing how I'm currently playing. And then once I make a decision, just go 100%. I'm still working on that. I mean, again, I would say maybe like 75% of my shots I'm really confident in, or like I'm really committed in if, if I'm really being like critical. What shots are you? do you feel the hardest to commit to? Is it a certain club? Is, it a, is That's it a, certain a great question. Type, yeah, let's dig into that. I would say, frankly, putting sometimes. I mean, like choosing the line and going. I, I'm one of those guys where... I line up my ball. I have the line on the ball. I get my line and, and I go up right when I stand up on the ball and I'm standing over it and I look and I see, Oh God, like it's a little bit off. Like I, I changed my stance and my line right when I'm about to putt, I don't know how many times I got to do it and miss that way. I changed to, to realize just commit to what you lined up for for. So I think that putting is a big one for me. I would also say like my, you know, my approach shot, like, you know, 150 and in, I think sometimes with club selection, should I hit a pitching wedge? Should I 56? Like depending on the wind and all these variables, I'm trying to consider. Oh, it's a windy day. I got a club up too. and then I'm up there, and it's not that windy. It's just kind yeah. of high down a little bit. I'm like oh my god! And then you know, should I go back? Like those types of things is is where I I struggle um, because you know with a lot of thought and data that you're looking at and self you know reflection. There's so many variables that it also while it invites plans and like confidence, sometimes it also invites doubt because you're considering more things and you're thinking more. It's interesting,
1: yeah. Kent, how we could use your planning that you're starting to get more into to help yourself with indecision. Cause yeah. like indecision is probably the biggest risk, biggest threat, I guess is the better word threat of good golf, right? Cause it prevents commitment. So something Cermak and I talked a lot about when we played in Florida together at the beginning of the year is like front yardage is so key. That's actually something that a lot of great players talk about that, 10 plus handicaps don't. Mm. So that's a great nugget that I actually need to think about more is front yardage. But think about the power of yardages that you choose, allowing you to feel more decisive. So an example is if you've got, Sermon, I've talked about this a lot. If you've got like a, a 130 pin and your pitching wedge can go 135 to 140. Yep, that's me. Instead of trying to muscle a gap that's probably going to spin off the front or baby the pitching wedge. Why not just hit to the middle of the green that, you know, best case scenario, if I hit this perfect, I'm going to be 12 feet, 15, 20 feet above the flag in the middle of the green, right? So it's about picking spots and clubs that allow you to hit the club that makes you feel the most confident. And really the beautiful part about that, Kent, it's very clear when you're not. So if you're on in-between, that tells you you haven't gotten to the answer yet. And
2: this is going to happen, Ken, as you know, several times around. And you have to accept it. This is not my wheelhouse situation. Mm. So to Ev's point, you got to just kind of surrender to the moment. All right, I got to think further away, fat part of the green. Because you know, later in the round, you're going to have a wheelhouse yardage. You're going to have, and then your mind's going to be totally
0: different. (laughs) You're going to be so much more relaxed. It's tough. It sounds like what you guys are saying, and this is, this is great advice is that like when you get into those situations where you're in between clubs and, you, and there might be some indecisiveness you, you really just reanalyze the hole again and be like what is the safest shot and again this sounds obvious saying it but like you know no. most of the time I'm like all right easiest chance for birdie like what what is that but sounds like what you guys are saying is like even step back more and just be like what is just truly the safest shot yeah, yeah I don't
1: even think about it for birdie I think about it as what gives me the best chance
0: right. so it's
1: chances right well, so
2: we should so- tell him about my brother Joe too what he said on the show Joe's a a plus five plus five.
1: Okay, so that means on average, a plus five handicap means that when he plays well, he's shooting what a 67 around. But most of the time, if on average, he's shooting around even par. Right. He said birdies are happy accidents. That guy, a plus five. Okay, for me, I wonder what would happen for Kent to give him the best chance at par. Right,
0: right. And and you that's, know? that's that's and what not even really yourself. just thinking yep. about
1: score. It's more about like yeah. what Chris Nagel told us, who's a tour pro that's playing the John Deere, a journeyman on mini tours in Corn Ferry. This guy is a plus eight, mashes at 350. He says aggressively conservative is his game. And that's what most pros will tell you. He yeah. picks the fattest part of the fairways, fattest well, part of the green, and you swing aggressive at conservative targets.
2: Tiger Woods, the, the greatest player of our generation. Jack Nicklaus, the greatest player of the last generation, are two known most as conservative the, players. most conservative players because birdies are just really hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's a game of averages, Kent. So like, right, you're gonna make you're gonna three putt from twenty feet maybe, and then you're gonna drain a twenty five footer. Right, and if you accept that it's a game of averages. It can kind of open up where that emotion, and I want to dig into managing emotions. So I think a lot of people can relate to that, but that's a helpful tool, I think, for managing emotions because it's kind of a shoulder shrug, move on. I'll get my chances. But one thing we haven't talked about a lot, Serm, is why we still hit with an uncomfortable or indecisive feeling. And I think a lot of times for me, I'm trying to appease others or I'm afraid of pace of play. Right. But then if you take a step back and realize, well, if I'm hitting indecisive shots, I'm probably hitting more shots and I'm taking longer in the long run. So giving yourself permission to take another second, forget what anyone else thinks, put it on the green while they're chasing their balls in the rough. I'll
2: give you my take because I want to get Kent's take. The reason why I I try to feather something in or muscle something is because I got a short iron. I think that's a scoring club and I may have made a dumb bogey in the last hole. From- really, I'm making things tougher on me when we do that. We're just the percentages. What do you think, Kat?
0: Yeah. I, well, first, I love that that term, aggressively conservative. And and again, that's something that I've really been focusing on and and, and getting better at, rather than just going to the pin or whatever. Playing for par, playing within yourself, I think, is what is you know, necessary for somebody like me and and understanding that like not every shot is going to be perfect. And you are really just trying to minimize damage. Like I always describe golf as just a game of imperfection. You're never going to be perfect. Never. You're not parring every hole. And it's just about, you know, minimizing the damage. You know, one thing that I think kind of got me into trouble when I, you know, wasn't very thoughtful is to to manage my emotions, Evan. Like I'd always forget the next shot. I'm one of those golfers that like has to count his strokes after he uh, finishes a hole. Cause I really like, if I hit a bad shot or whatever, I just put it out of my mind. It's good because it helps me manage my emotions. I'm not stewing, oh my God, I'm, I'm already too over. But it's, it's bad because every shot, I'm just like going for like the most optimal shot if I hit it perfect. When, you know, if I'm sitting there like, hey Kent, like I'm laying three, you know, on a par five, just get it close. And, you know, you don't need to get it like right at the pin or whatever. Play for par. It's a balance for me of being thoughtful and all that stuff, but also managing my emotions by not getting too caught up in like where I'm at. It really just trying to think about the next shot.
1: All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. Word from a sponsor that you are going to love because I got some fun news and we'll get you right back with the show. Okay. So I've seen the comments, I've seen the chatter, and I've lived it. I get it. A lot of people feel like gloves are a commodity and it's an impulse buy and you get whatever you're going to get at the clubhouse. If you have a hole or for whatever reason your glove is so crusty, you can't even unfold it and put it on. Right. I know this is how a lot of people feel about gloves. Well, I thought it was super interesting because my golf spy one of the top forums in golf, they have 75 million readers. They do product testing, independent, non-biased product testing. And they looked at 35 plus gloves, to test the best performing glove of 2022. And Red Rooster, our partner, started in COVID. They're only one or two years in, but they were researching and building this product for years prior to that. But they've only been in market not very long. For them to win best performing glove of 2022 over all of the big competitors, FootJoy, Callaway, you name it, the Red Rooster, the Cape glove, was named the number one best performing glove. Says it has the softest, leather, and the best grip. It has stretchy, I think it's Lycra, in all the right places for optimal fit and flexibility. Soft Cabretta leather, comes in cadet sizes, fits in all the right places. The other thing that got another top performing was the Red Rooster Range Rooster, which is so cool because I actually need to get one of these because a lot of people I've seen in the comments and on Twitter are saying, you got to have a glove for the range. You got to have a glove for playing. And this is something that I personally am going to start doing now. It's genius. I know a lot of people have been doing this for years. I personally didn't, but it makes so much sense. You have a glove that's a little bit designed for more durability. So the Red Rooster Range Rooster is great for the range. And if all of this doesn't convince you, Because look, I get it. You might think, whatever, glove's a glove. I think all that matters at the end of the day is that it feels good in your hand. It's soft, it's durable, and you like the look of it. At the end of the day, it's confidence and feel, right? And that you get your money's worth out of it. Clearly, the My Golf Spy study validated all of that for Red Rooster. And then if you needed a little extra nudge, this is my favorite part about Red Rooster. I've talked about it before, but I'll say it again. They are a company with a mission, okay? I've talked about it. You go to these junior golf events, first tee events, some are done in less fortunate areas. It becomes very clear for the kids that don't have gloves. They know that they are less fortunate than the kids that do have gloves. And it's this form of ownership. It's this form of belonging to the game. And every glove that you buy with Red Rooster gets donated to junior golf program. They even send you a free kids golf glove so that you can feel what it's like handing a kid their first really good golf glove as they embark on their golf journey. And I just think that is the coolest thing. I know the people over at Red Rooster, it's a family-driven business. They're doing it right, just like Roback does. They're doing it right with a mission and they're giving back and it's making a difference. So just like I like to buy Warby Parker glasses because it gives back, just like people buy Tom's shoes because it gives back, get a golf glove that gives back, okay? Go to redroostergolf.com train. And you'll get 20% off everything, including the subscription. Okay. The subscription is big. I know you won't probably want to test the glove first, but the subscription is awesome because then it keeps you accountable for getting gloves more regular and making sure you have a the top performing glove for your game. So redroostergolf.com train. It'll give you 20% off everything. You enter the code train and get yourself a glove that elevates your game and also gives back to the community. I love it. All right, guys, let's get back to the show.
2: I want to hit on something tactical. Kent mentioned, I want to get you both of your guys take, you mentioned the wind, right? And the wind, what is your guys wind routine? The goal is to understand what the wind is doing. I've kind of learned a lot of interesting things growing up with it. And it's very important because it's a bad feeling when you make a good swing and hit the right shot yeah. and you just misjudge the wind. Kent, how do you, how do you judge the wind?
0: I don't have a, a, a rope method or anything like that yeah. other than collectively deciding with the group of guys I'm playing with. Oh, is that a, is, is that a two, two club wind or one club wind or whatever? And and then once I hit a shot into the wind or whatever, I, I bank that in my mind of like, all right, yeah, I should have hit two clubs more yeah. or less, whatever that that's it. I don't, yeah. I don't really consider it on the range or anything. And, and maybe I should, but that's, that's kind of how I approach that.
2: Yeah. I have thoughts cause I've got yeah. a thoughts, but I want to hear what you guys think. Yeah.
1: yeah for me, Cause I've been lucky enough to go to places like Bandon and Scotland yeah. and stuff. For me, what really gave me the best chance was I used to kind of think of it like that, Kent, where I'm like, well, that's a two club win. So I need to hit my five iron, a full five iron. Like I would normally hit a seven here, but then once I started learning how to flight it, putting it back in my stance, being okay with being a little handsy, being yeah. a little bit more athletic or Almost flaring it open, being okay with kind of hitting a little controlled cut, which I had been trying lately, which I've been liking. It's something that you got to practice, but have some fun with. But I don't think it's always as like straightforward, at least for me. This is a personal thing. I just find that it flies better through the wind. It's more fun. It's more like athletic than just having one swing for everything. But there's also a value to having a one stock shot and learning to put it a little back in your stance so that it doesn't balloon. Cause I hit a really high ball. And first time I went to Bandon, I'd hit five irons, hundred yards, and it would almost look like it's flying back towards me. Whereas the second time I'd hit a five iron, i put it back in my stance and I'd land it well before the green and roll it up pin high, you know? So I think it's just getting more comfortable with different types of shots. Controlling yeah. the flight is nice to have.
2: Right. I mean, when it's into the wind, swing easy, because the, the harder you swing, the more spin you're going to put on the ball, the it. higher it's going to go.
1: Uh,
2: okay. So into the wind, swing easy, downwind, that's your chance to swing harder and aggressive, more aggressive. Mm-hmm. But what I would say, checking the wind is very important. You throw up the grass before every shot.
0: Not every shot, but maybe- you got to do it yeah. Yeah. because
2: it, it's deceptive. Throwing up the grass before every shot, you, know, you see which way the grass goes, but also you need to be looking at the pin. And the flag stick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the trees, if there's trees around the green, because sometimes the wind is different where you are at 150 yards away than where is it at the green? You got to be so diligent in in your routine, right? On that. Because as you know, just a little wind can change the whole dynamic of the shot. Always be checking what the pin's doing and what the trees are doing because it can tell a different story. And it's big on putting too. 10 mile per hour downwind. It's your back on a downhill putt. Just be very aware. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so funny. And again, part of it for me is like, you know, inviting more variables. I sometimes that, that causes indecision for me. Yeah. So like, I, I never like think about the wind unless it's like windy out. Right. But to your point, I, I like that because there have so many times I'm sure every golfer can relate to this where it's not windy where you are and you hit it up there and you're like, Oh my gosh, where did that wind come from? And then you look at the flag and the flag's blowing, Right. Like, I, you know, just yeah. because I didn't feel anything, you know, all you got to do is look at the freaking thing you're aiming at. Tops of trees too. <laughs> yeah, and tops it's, and trees. It's, yeah.
2: And it's not about being more complicated. It's just, you know, just having your checkpoints, right? Like, right. And being disciplined with your routine. That's what i that's what I would say.
0: No, so, I, so. I agree with you. And I think that is something that coming out of the conversation, like I should really like create a routine about You know, what are the things I want to do? Like, again, I have that when I go to the the putting green, I I walk 10 paces and measure the green speed from that. But like, right, you know, I should have a a routine for every shot. And My coach always
2: said, growing up, the yardage and the wind is going to dictate the shape and the speed. You got to get those first.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. So, I know we only have like eight to 10 minutes left. This always happens on roundtables. We just get into it, but um, <laughs> we, I
2: could keep talking. We'd go uh, for yeah. hours. We, we got to, <laughs> I, I got
1: to end on, you know, you shot an 80, then a 96, then an 80. I want to dig into the differences there, but I also really want to dive into managing emotions and what shots make yeah. you lose it versus yeah. not. So, maybe start with if you want to integrate the two of maybe some moments in those three rounds that. You maybe almost lost your cool, or you felt the blood bubbling a little bit. Like I want to help people manage their emotions, because
0: that's that's really important. Totally. Generally, it's my driver. Like you know, if I slice it into the woods or something like that, and that's what happened with 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 my '96. Is I, I lost a bunch of balls, and and penalties kill me. I think I average like you know, three penalties now around, but before then it was it was like five, I think it was. So I'm doing better at that. You know, I would say when I hit my driver and I slice it and can't control it and it's a wide open fairway, I get so mad at myself. There's that. And then, you know, maybe just like kind of in, any indecisive shot where I, I'm chipping and I decel and hit it like you know two feet or something like that. Like that drives me crazy. Not so much putting anymore. I mean- Do you see I mean, the similarity
1: of those two examples, Kent? Both of those examples are in your mind, missed opportunities or easy moments. Right. So expectations are high. Yes. And you get down on yourself and think that you blew it or missed an opportunity when again. That's right. It's a game of averages. Right. Right. And how many times, Kent, have you hit a great shot out of the trees? exactly <laughs> or made a long putt
0: <laughs> i've seen so, him do it <laughs> right it's so funny because like that's what kind of gets me over the over that the anger you know bug is that you know this is the opportunity to just you know hit a great shot like my recovery shots often are are, are my better shots because you know maybe expectations are a little bit lower uh yeah. you know, i'm not thinking as hard and and, and just kind of swinging easy so so you uh, see how
1: your mind went to this is a great moment to score so what that did amazing. it might
0: feel true to you And it's a very small thought,
1: but the power of that is all it takes is something like that to add more tension and serve as interference, right? So that's also a great checkpoint, just like the win of like, what am I focusing on that could potentially get in my way? Is that's creating indecision or interference? And then the goal is, okay, my only job here is to commit. So do I feel good about this shot? Is this shot giving me the best chance? I don't need to worry about really as much where it goes, because I know how to recover. I've been practicing recovery, right? I mean, I've, I've experienced a ton with this, um, interference off the tee because it's normal. You've had so many traumatic experiences of losing your ball and you know Mm -hmm. that that's the cause of your higher scores. And all you want to do is just hit a fairway. And ironically, the only way to hit a fairway is to swing easy and and light or not necessarily light, but swing. Right. Right. Instead well, of trying to fairway, yeah.
2: you, you swing. Eliminate the tension.
1: Yeah. Yes. So yep. really, like, that's a great point is I think Cal Shapiro, recording artist we've had on the show, his breath tip could actually be great for Kent and anyone that has challenges managing their emotions or is an intense guy or gal, because the only goal, just like we said, with eliminating indecision, creating commitment, another goal is to get you there is releasing tension.
2: Yeah. For Kent, for me, I'm, I, I played in a member guest last week in Kentucky and the first round, I just putted terrible. I was like, almost ashamed of myself. Like I just couldn't make a putt. And I was just kind of second guessing just my line and my speed. Right. And was making tentative strokes, but I realized I wasn't taking my breath before each putt like that. Literally I'm over and I, I'm right. at my best when I go as I'm setting up to it. Right. And it's just like, I had some awareness and I, and I you know, made so many better strokes the next day. And it it happens. We lose sight of this stuff, but like ingraining breath work into my putting routine has been huge. You can use it for the full swing, but like, you've got to be thinking about like, when you think about the breath, then you're not obsessing over the result.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 This is, this is so important. So what Cermak just said, played in college, scratch player, right? In a member guest got out of his routine. There's no such thing as making it, or I've figured out my driver. Now I can go figure out my wedges. That doesn't exist. That's a myth. Yeah, It's a day-to-day practice mm-hmm. of getting back to the things that give you your best chance to play well. So one thing that's changed my putting, among many things, but I think one of the biggest things, Sir, I haven't told you this, <laughs> is I get over the putt, I set the club down on my line, I look at the hole, I almost like visualize or feel where I'm going. As soon as my eyes go back to my putter head, I stroke it. Yeah. And I've noticed that when I was putting tentatively at Sand Valley, Last week, I was standing over the putt for about two seconds and that's not very long, but I was creating tension and I was trying to guide it and just not assertive and it was yeah. not assertive. Whereas that assertive deliberate of as soon as I get back to my putter, I stroke it right. and wherever it goes, it goes. That was creating a pure role in a way that felt very deliberate to me. I was making a ton of putts that way and I wasn't even trying to oh. make them.
2: And Kent, maybe this is a great way to end. I mean, you put it so well at, at Cog Hill a couple weeks ago. What do you remember about that, right? What can you carry to that
0: next round? I think, Evan, to your point, I didn't spend a ton of time when I was standing over the ball because I just felt I was like ready to go. I knew the yeah. line. I was like, just yeah. get it in. And what you said earlier, it's about, you know, swinging or, or putting with with commitment. And, you know, the longer you maybe stand, that could, could bring some indecisiveness or whatnot. So- yeah, I think it was doing the work early on and the, the putting green. And then yeah. like, you know, and again, it happens early, right? I mean, I, I think everybody knows this is like, you know, you make one or two early, you're all downhill, you know, <laughs> it, it feels great. And so I think it is just choosing your line, feeling good about it, standing over the putt and don't give yourself that opportunity to freaking change your stance or whatever, like I've been doing and just go and, and live with the result. Whatever um, happens, happens. And right. if you
1: feel like you don't trust it, Step off, Step take off. a look yeah, at the, that's you right. know, get committed to it. Kent, this has been great. I think people are going to get a lot from this, but as we sign off, what's your big takeaway from this? Whether it's from something we talked about on the show, or as you've been, you've shot two eighties and you're nearing a single digit handicap again, that we know is not going to define you. It's just a part of the process, but what's a big takeaway for you? For someone listening, that's a 12, 15 that can get heated, can get emotional yeah. out there that loses balls right off the tee. What what do you think is a good takeaway for them?
0: I think aggressively conservative is is my takeaway overall because okay. I always think some of the stuff is obvious, but it's not when you're playing. And if I understand what the conservative approach is and then commit and what we we're talking about earlier of just you know swinging and, and and feeling good about your shot, that's going to lead to more success, I would imagine, because when you, you try to take chances or whatnot and you 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 fail or you, you hit a bad shot that's when the the temper starts flaring and stuff because oh my god why did i go for the green here blah 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 so i I really like that i that approach and i'm going to tell myself that that's going to be my new like you know saying to myself internally when when i'm making those decisions and when i'm standing over the ball is aggressively conservative because if you're aggressive if you if you have commitment with your shot and you're 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 hitting the easiest shot available to you i mean come on that's the the safest way to go
2: (laughs) Bigger targets are really nice to look at too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And remember this, Kent. The next time you go for the green, you t- and afterwards you go, I can't believe I went for that. Instead of I can't believe I went for that, maybe that's the automatic thought, right? That's what mm-hmm. we've said to ourselves for years. But then take a step back and say, well, Why did I go for that? Was I not committed? Did I go into that too quick? Was, was I, I mad about, about the last hole to do? Right. Was right. I worried about <laughs> making up a shot from the last hole? Right. Then now you have that's information. The- that's the learnings. Yeah. yeah. It's a learning moment now. And you go, okay, I'm just going to commit on the next one. That's This is just like Cermak reset with his putting. You mm-hmm. reset with your commitment practice. You know, you take a breath, you release tension, you commit to a big target and you go. So I think what I want to leave people with, in addition to what you said, Kent, which is great, is you didn't reinvent your swing. You're not getting, you didn't get new equipment. Mm-hmm. All you did was you invested your time a little bit differently in the areas that save you the most, which is around the greens. Mm-hmm. You are more intentional about the types of shots you're trying to hit and the places you want the ball to go. You still lose a ball. You still make three putts. You still do right. all that. You still miss greens. You still do the things that we all do, but your scores are going down because you're being intentional about what you're trying to do and you're having a plan towards it. Everyone can do that. So I just yeah. want to leave people with that. I think that's really powerful and yeah. it's a testament.
2: And I saw such a shift, Kent, a couple of weeks ago at Kyle Right. It was awesome. Yeah, because yeah, it, so. it was
0: it was a while since we had played together. And so yeah, yeah I, I was excited to play with you because I was I had been, you know, had some breakthroughs and was feeling good. And and uh yeah, it, it feels great when you have success and, and you have a plan and and uh I'm just enjoying the ride. That's it, right? Well, thanks for jumping on with us, Kent. Absolute pleasure. Likewise, yeah. thanks Guys, for hopping I, aboard, I Kent. Love the board. Absolutely. Evan, great to meet you, man. Love the pod. Like I said, and you know, this was perfect timing for me because I actually have a member guest, my first ever in two weeks at my father's country club, uh, the Love country it. club in Cleveland, Ohio, Pepper Pike shout out. So there we go. I'm going to take all this, this <laughs> stuff. I'm going to be throwing up grass every shot and <laughs> telling myself aggressively conservative and so, taking Ken, breaths. Yeah.
1: I'm going to leave you with something for that. Okay. Yeah. Every single person there is going to be thinking about their score Where they're at in the match, what is it going to take to win their flight, the money on the line, people watching. Everyone is going to default to tentativeness, protecting against mistakes. And guess what? Kent Wilson's going to do. Kent Wilson's going to stick to his routine and not take misses personally. It's a team game. You guys are going to pick each other up, but you're going to pick, you're going to play the holes like you normally would. And you're going to be aggressively conservative. You're going to play your game. You're going to see where the match turns out.
0: That's exactly what I'm going to do, Evan. Thank you so much for, yep. for the time. I, I appreciate all the feedback. It was, it was such a great conversation. We loved having you. Thanks, Ken. You Keep guys. Keep us
1: posted on how you do.
0: I will. I absolutely
1: will. Cheers, guys. All right.